welcome to Cast Conversations, a bi-weekly podcast for school leaders by school leaders. Each of our episodes will engage practitioners and thought leaders in conversations about issues, ideas, and innovations relevant to today's busy educators. Hello everyone, my name is Rosie O'Brien Wojtek and I'm the current president for the Connecticut Association of Schools. Our special guest today is Patricia Saccone, superintendent of Westbrook Public Schools. As superintendent in Westbrook, Pat champions the use of restorative practices based on the model for the International Institute for Restorative Practices, IIRP. Under her leadership, the highly successful Westbrook School District has embraced the foundation of this community-based social relational model, which believes strongly that people are happier, healthier, and most likely to make positive changes in their behavior when those in positions of authority do things with them rather than to them or for them. The IIRP states that restorative practices builds healthy communities, increases social capital, reduces the impact of crime, decreases antisocial behavior, repairs harm, and restores relationships. In 2013, Education Week named Pat as a leader to learn from for her focus on school climate while serving as a superintendent of Connecticut's technical high school system. More recently, she was named by Education Week as one of 18 women educators internationally that all K-12 educators should know. Pat serves on the Connecticut School Climate Task Force, is a member of the leadership team of the National School Climate Council, and is on the faculty of the Leadership Academy for Character Education, LACE, at the University of Missouri, St. Louis. She's also a certified trainer with the IIRP and a faculty member for the National School Climate Center Summer Institute. Pat has become a leading voice across Connecticut and the United States by sharing her knowledge and experiences in effectively and successfully building a positive school and district climate and implementing restorative practices. A few weeks ago, we published a podcast with Dr. Joanne Freiberg, an education consultant for the Turnaround Office at the Connecticut State Department of Education. We're very excited to have Pat here with us today to continue the discussion we began with Dr. Freiberg. It's one thing to talk about restorative practices and positive school climate, but another to hear firsthand from someone who is not only talking about it, but living it, walking the talk. I'm very excited to finally meet and get to learn from someone who has successfully embraced this practice and is leading the charge across her district and the state of Connecticut. Welcome, Pat. Nice to be here. Good to finally get to meet you, too. I've given our listeners a brief introduction but I'd like to hear from you. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, your work, and how you became the current superintendent of Westbrook Public Schools. Honestly, I've got a zillion and one other things in my background that are, well, I'll say it for you, odd, to say the least. (laughs) Um, I spent five years of my life writing professionally. I wrote three novels and three screenplays oh, wow. in a space of we will five years. You. <laughs> Don't Google me because I lost my shirt. I thought I was going to be the next Charles Dickens yeah. in my early 20s, but wasn't. Yeah. So after teaching for five years, I went in and did this writing for another five years. And then I decided, you know, better go back to school and can't live in a garret over somebody's garage. You have to have a day job. So I went back and I became a professional counselor, marriage and family. And I went on to have a private practice for almost 20 years, really a little over 20 years. And when I decided to go back into education, I went into the community college system. So I I went back and I became a counselor, was chief of academic advising at Manchester Community College. And this was a little bit of an interesting ride this morning because I finished my work with the community college system, so I was in that system for about eight years. Right here at Tunxis, I was the director of the Student Development Center. So that was exciting. I was very much interested always in the technical high school system because another odd little nugget in my background is that I am a carpenter. (laughs) So... (laughs) I had an interest in that school district, and that's when I decided to go back into public education K-12. Along the way, I'm sure you can tell, I just kept going to school and getting other certifications Mm -hmm. and working toward my doctorate and all of that. So, you know, one thing led to another, and I went into the technical school system and moved along very quickly there. And then when I left that system, down to Westbrook and have to say, and it's great to say it out loud, 
a wonderful Board of Education at Westbrook Public Schools. I'm sure I was probably an oddity to them, but they were intrigued. And I think probably the difference was that I talked a lot about this work that I had tried to bring into the technical school system, and they were intrigued. I think they saw something in that work. Maybe not necessarily in me, but because I was bringing it to them. I think they were intrigued by the notion of working to operate schools in terms of positive climate and the three R's, relationships, relationships, relationships. So I think that's why Westbrook. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. So you've had quite the background. But one of the things, just to remind our listeners, is that you're also a certified trainer for the IIRP. So before we dive into what I want to call the Westbrook story, let's make sure that we are all on the same page with restorative practices. So what does restorative practices mean to you? What are the key principles behind restorative practices? And when it's implemented effectively, what does it look like, sound like, and feel like? So for me, restorative practices is not a program. And for those of us who work in schools, you know there's a very big difference between doing something programmatically and doing something where you're attempting to change the culture of your school system, your schools, and your district. Restorative practices is really a framework. It's a structure. It's kind of a housing But for me, Rosie, it's a second step. Climate is the foundation of everything. That notion of looking at your schools, looking at your district, and I know I'm here because I'm somebody that's on the ground. I'm not your theoretician. I'm very practical. It also should be a foundational element in your community. Right. So who needs to be included in the work of school climate? All the stakeholders, staff, administrators, custodians, bus drivers, secretaries, administrative assistants, above all students need to be doing this work with you. They need to be partners in the work. Then it needs to be your elected officials, your law enforcement community, townspeople, and that giant stakeholder group, parents parents and guardians is absolutely critical. So if you're thinking about climate and building and sustaining positive climate, you're thinking about relationship building, you're thinking about a place where there is true character and quality to the school day, where every child has a trusted adult, at least one trusted adult that they can go to to share a success, a joy, a fear, a concern, something that's worrying them. You know, in the high schools, that's absolutely critical. In adolescence, it's absolutely critical. In the elementary grade levels, it's an easier paradigm shift in the minds of most adults because that's where we're doing all of our nurturing and there should be a warm environment. We know what a joyful elementary school looks like, feels like, and sounds like. At the secondary level, you know, those things become harder. And then, of course, in those middle grades, in that middle school model, that's the perfect storm where kids really don't know what's happening to themselves physically, emotionally, and socially. And then, you know, that's a a really good training ground for them and a place where an effective school climate is really critical, and then you begin to carry that through to the high school. So places where kids have wonderful relationships with adults, where adults take the time to have relationships with kids and to cultivate that. I think you can tell I'm driving toward the notion that when you're working on school climate, it's incredibly important But that's a huge paradigm shift for many adults because it really does mean that adults are beginning to make as critically important their day-to-day work, the notion of developing relationships with kids, being interested in kids and kids' lives and what kids are coming into school with and what's going on at home and what's going on with their friends. Just as important as the curriculum that they have to meet. So that's the climate foundation. The key principles of restorative practices is the second step, not to be confused Mm -hmm. with the second step program. Right. 
And that's something that I went looking for. I have to be honest with you, I went looking for that. I just recently co-wrote a paper and went to an international conference and delivered a paper. I haven't done that in (laughs) years, you know. But that's part of what superintendents should be doing is the research and the work behind the initiatives that you want to carry forward. And so about four years ago, probably five almost now, I went looking for the very thing that would answer the question that folks on the ground, teachers and secretaries and that whole layer of operationalizing schools, when they get through climate training, they get it. And they're on fire and they're so excited. I always call it, it's back to the future work. (laughs) You know, it's the reason we all went into education in the first place. People went into education because they want to make a difference. They have something they think they can share and change the world. And so when climate brings them right back to that place where they made those early decisions to work with kids, the idea is, okay, we get it. This is a way of being. We want to be different here. We want to be happy and joyful and see problems before they even happen and, you know, get involved in the lives of the kids and let the kids know us as people and back and forth and really partner with them and give them something that is more than just a voice is really a role to play in how we're all going to be in our world. And when that happens to them, the very next question is, But how do we do this when there are problems? Because there will always be problems, right? Absolutely, So how do we do this when there are problems? And that is where I went looking. What is it that complements the foundation? Because there are two issues with climate. It's creating a positive climate, and then the real hard work is sustaining that when things go wrong. And so the notion is there's 80% of our work is making sure our house is in good order and we're all enjoying and we all have a reason for being there and we all have a voice in what we're doing. And the second big piece is what do we do when something goes wrong? And so that's where restorative practices comes in. Right, right. So as a superintendent, once you found that out, how did you bring that to Westbrook? That's really the journey, I think, that you've been on as you started to implement this. So how did you do it? You're absolutely right, and you've hit the nail on the head, Rosie, when you talk about as a superintendent, how did you bring it through? Because that is really the work, right? Often people will go to trainings or try to absorb new learning or get out there and, and figure out what might improve their own practice, and nothing happens if you don't have the support of leadership. So if you've talked to Dr. Freiberg, You know that I'm constantly buzzing in her ear about Connecticut and its triangles. I hate triangles. (laughs) We have triangled everything to death. I have my own theory that if I had to use triangles, you know, in something that I was doing, I would turn it upside down and I would say, here's the 80%. This is the foundation, but I'm turning it upside down because all of that has to fall through. I mean, I could get real crazy with triangles, but... Maybe you need an hourglass. You know, I probably do. I'll think about that as well. But I think what happens is I tend to think of schools and organizations and I include students. Mm -hmm. And sometimes this is a tough road to hoe for adults because, you know, they think of the authority-driven model. But I think of us all as one person high, and I try to act and operate that way. As a superintendent, there are many, many things that come to me where a decision has to be made. I'm happy making decisions, and I know that that's a place where I have to do that, and I'm pleased to do that. But I always want to think about who that decision is going to impact and how would they think about it. You're going to ask me a question a little later, I'm sure, about whether or not in this journey I'm confronted with, and I'll say that, confronted with, folks who don't want to go on this journey. And, you know, are those those people. (laughs) Those those resistors, those. Let's let's do that. But I think just to quickly answer how I brought this or how I started it. Yeah, I was looking for 
The best way to work to sustain positive climate and improve conditions, and in fact improve that climate generally, when and if something happens, when and if something happens, how do we restore the harm that's been done? Whether it's adult to adult, adult to student, student to student, student to adult, when something has damaged the great relationships that we have tried to form in our positive climate. And this is the way to do this. So I went looking. I did a lot of research. And about four years ago, it's all a blur, but Mm -hmm. I asked the administrators, and I started with the administrators because I wanted to make sure that if we were going to go in this direction, as with climate, would our folks have the support, the leadership support? Because that's a big question Mm -hmm. always. So I I did something kind of strange. We're very small in Westbrook. Not a lot of administrators. We only have four of record. Asked them if they would want to more or less do a retreat, if you will, with me the last four days of summer vacation, right, in August. Not the best time. (laughs) And also invited our lead teachers because our principals in Westbrook don't have assistant principals, so we have lead teachers. So this was a way in my head that we could start incorporating teacher leaders as well. And so they said, okay, they were willing. And then I thought, well, we're small. Let's invite other schools. So essentially I assembled... 45. We have 45 folks. Wow. My administrators and lead teachers and teams of people from other schools across the state. And I invited IARP and we did a four-day training and I went through the training with them. Which is also really important. Yes, it's it's absolutely, it's, it's key to understand and to also let your folks know that you're you're serious about this, that you're going to do this, and that you're going to use these techniques yourself, and that you're going to be a trainer. And of course, I did ultimately bring IIRP back for folks, but I think it was one of the first in the state to do that. There was a large effort in the New Haven system, but it wasn't done in this way. They just sent a fleet of trainers into New Haven to do something for folks And they had, I think, about 300 teachers go through it, but very little, if any, leadership. And it became a problem for them in trying to really move that initiative and keep it alive. So that's how it began. Now, I hope you're going to ask me a question about what's going on. Yes. So, yeah, let's talk about that. So what is going on right now? What's the state of the state in Westbrook, and how have you progressed on your journey. So the folks who went through the process have been really instrumental in keeping hope alive. Let's put it that way. We are very devoted to climate in Westbrook, and we have quite the phenomenon going on in that climate was brought down, particularly in the high school, to our students. And I truly believe in that. The largest group in any school are the students. And if you're not going to train them and you're not going to bring them along to have what I think I mentioned earlier on, which is more than a voice. You know, Rosie, I'm aging by the minute. I can't believe. (laughs) We don't want to even go there. (laughs) Time passes. It does. But in my old age, I think I'm getting to the point where I realize that if it's about relationships, And it's about doing this work and really inspiring people to have relationships and to do what they think will really improve their school and make their school more joyful and truly be a destination. Then what are we doing if all we're doing is training adults? They're obviously very key and have to be trained. But why are we leaving students out of that? I'm not sure. There's a good reason for that. I think there's a better reason to partner with students. So by that I mean we've gotten very good in schools at giving children voice. But they need more than that. They really need a role to play. And boy, do they get this stuff. When you talk about 
working with students as resources. And you do some of the great learning tasks around working with students as resources. That's part of your climate training and all of that work. That is one of the toughest learning tasks that adults go through when you're being trained in climate. When you do that learning task with students, it's incredible how quickly they get the difference between working with students as objects, which as you know, we all do. There's no discussion, there's a fire drill, that's our route, that's Mm -hmm. the way we're going. You know, everybody falls in line and you follow me and out we go. Working with them as recipients, which is, we'd like to have you on this committee with us. You can be on the committee. We want you to listen and learn. We need to teach you how to be a part of a committee Mm -hmm. like this. To that final step, which is working with students as resources, which is we want you at the table with us because this is going to affect you, and we're not sure we know how that's going to affect you. We need to learn from you. Mm -hmm. So that whole notion was not lost on me once everyone in Westbrook was trained in climate. We began to train students in climate. So that two-day basic climate session that you go through, we created a version, Dr. Freiberg and I, to bring to students. So students come to a conference day and train. The very same training. And is it for elementary through high school or is that's, it more middle that's school, more, high school? We're working on that for middle school. It was largely high a school. high school. But here's the difference and why we're so fortunate there. Because you're asking me what's going on now. The students in Westbrook High School are absolute wizards. They are so knowledgeable about climate they know more about the 13 dimensions of climate, mm-hmm. how to analyze our climate data when we do our climate survey, you know, at the end of each year. And I, this year, turned all the district data over to them. They analyzed it. Of course, I did as well, just mm-hmm. to really learn from them and check myself out. At the November board meeting, they presented our district climate data to the Board of Ed. I'm sure you can see where I'm going. What they're doing, they have been working on the things that impact our climate and the things that show us where we need to be working restoratively as well at the middle school with one another in the high schools, but they're bringing it to the middle school and they're also bringing it to the elementary school. How exciting. So let's think of an example of an issue that young people face today, which is far and away more devastating and more prevalent with them than what we might have gone through. And I don't even want to tell you how different it was when I was a kid in school because, you know, we were back to that age where you took your SATs with a stone tablet and some little <laughs> pebbles and a mallet, you know. Not really so, <laughs> close. <laughs> so we're going way back. Yeah. But this whole notion of social interaction, social media, Most of our students go to school every morning checking out their cell phone, and we're talking all the way down into the elementary school. And they're looking at, you know, Instagram images and Facebook images, and they're looking at things that don't look anything like themselves. So they're coming to school less confident, less able to think of themselves as having something to offer, less opportunity to think of themselves as looking pretty nifty, They don't look like those body types and other things. And it's really devastating to them. And they're Mm -hmm. getting into trouble with it, and it's plaguing them and worrying them. And our students identify through our climate data that social and emotional development is a weak area for students, and social media is a very weak area as well. And they're combining those two things and saying, this is really impacting our climate. Kids are torturing one another. Kids are sending hurtful messages. When that kind of thing happens, and we can do something about that. So they're bringing that work in. So now we go back to restorative practices. Our teachers are getting trained. It takes a long time, and this is one of the things that's risky about superintendents taking this initiative on. Those that have been through are inspiring others. It was a small number of folks. They're using these techniques, the restorative techniques. They're using them in their classrooms. They're using it as part of that 80% of preventive work. Mm -hmm. They're doing circles in their classrooms. They're engaging kids in their curriculum and content areas in that way. Our elementary school does 
circles all the time, and I think, you know, you mm -hmm. would know that obviously the elementary school is sort of designed for that. Yeah. Everything is done in a circle. You know, there's morning I meeting. Love it's, yep, <laughs> yes. that's exactly yeah, right. Is. Right, everybody has their little spot in the corner of the room or whatever. Sometimes we do things that are curriculum oriented time of day, what's the day, what's the weather like, and all of that, down to reading circles and so on. So all of that work is being done by those folks, and meanwhile, back at the ranch, we've got a lot of folks who haven't had that training yet, and we are still in that position in Westbrook. Superintendents have to investigate their budgets and figure things out, and I think we all know that substitutes takes a big chunk of our budget and all of that, but this year, the training, getting people out for the two days of restorative has been difficult. So this year, I made the commitment and am hosting six two-day restorative training sessions right in Westbrook. Wonderful. So I've said to everyone, and I've opened them up to folks across the state because I think it really is better for our folks to be able to train with people from different school districts, urban, suburban, mm -hmm. very rural school districts. It's a much richer environment, it, it and you learn so much is. from other people. Yeah, It absolutely is. And so this year, we've gone through two of them. My intention is that every teacher, every face, every face that I can get in there, I've already had custodians go through. The other thing is this. Within six months of my being in Westbrook, we wrote a school climate policy. We can talk about that later, but it truly operationalizes school climate. As you know, Rosie, we all have the safe school climate plan Plans. policy that was right. requested by the state which I'm still not sure what that is, but we have one. <laughs> yeah, I think we all do. We <laughs> all we? have it. Yes. But I have made that one an appendices mm -hmm. of the true school climate policy. The language of that is restorative. It basically okay. says we have lots of things in place that other school districts have in place. We have the investigation forms. We have all of those things, but we definitely are going to seek to restore harms that are done first. That's okay. the direction. Do you we're have going that in. out online where people can go? It and is. It's on our so website, www.westbrookctschools.org. Cool. And you can go there and you can find the policy and you can find the policy with all the attachments as well. So you can see everything that's part of it and you can see that safe school climate plan policy as well attached to it. So yes, it's out there for everyone. And in fact, that policy was written. And if you like, anyone can write to me in Westbrook and I'll send it to you as a Word document because it was really written so that you could take Westbrook's name right out of it and stick in your own school district. <laughs> Search and replace, right? That's, there you go. That's it. <laughs> perfect. That's perfect. All you have to do. So I have a question, um, and I think it's probably one that's on everybody's mind. Mm -hmm. So you've been on this journey for a while. How do you know that it's working? What are your indicators of success, and what does your data show? What are you starting to see? Yeah. Interestingly, I know that it's working in two ways. In one way, because folks that are really on board are very excited about it and often talk to me about it. In the teacher ranks, folks are using circles and circle mechanisms. In the elementary school, our principal is very devoted to this work, and I hear it coming back to me in terms of vocabulary that they're using with our, with our students. They ask for permission to get into social thinking curriculum and teach students lessons on how to express themselves and how to articulate things. So in all of those areas, we just operationalized the sexual assault and abuse prevention curriculum, which, as you know, mm -hmm. all school districts have to provide yearly to students pre-K through 12, right. that curriculum. And that's a very difficult curriculum to provide. Especially for the little people. It, it absolutely is, and especially for the adults, the parents, and the teachers and the administrators who work with our youngest. And so one of the things that I insisted upon was that we think about that work in those grade levels through the lens of our restorative practices and our climate work. And I really think it's because of that work that we successfully roped and tied that monster <laughs> and you know managed it 
And I believe I was on the task force to develop the goals and expectations of that particular statute for schools. And when I brought that back, I mean, that was hair-raising for our curriculum folks, those of us who need to write that curriculum. Mm -hmm. It was really kind of scary. And uh, we just recently had a parent education night, kind of had the parents in a circle. And uh, I really think it's because of this work that they were very accepting of it. I got just as much feedback from parents, and we did a little panel discussion, and we put it up on our website. It's also there for you to see. I'm still getting more positive feedback from parents than, than naysayers. And the second way that I know that it's working is <laughs> is those who are resistant. Okay, yeah, we, then we're coming um, back we're around. Coming, we're coming yes. to that. Because it is a tough, tough thing it's very for tough. adults, especially adults who work with children day to day. Parents actually get the work of restorative practices because we see it in our homes and if somebody can explain that to you and and give you training you recognize very quickly that most parents are always looking for Mm -hmm. a better way to solve problems at home and we do it all the time and so parents get it but it's a really hard shift for Mm -hmm. adults in schools less hard for folks who really espouse climate but nonetheless hard And there is another stakeholder group, and this is really going to surprise you. There's another stakeholder group that has trouble with the notion of, what do you mean you're not just giving a punishment to someone? What do you mean? How does that work? And that's our students. Mm -hmm. Students, you know why? You know why? Because we are so good at what we do in schools. We really are. We do educate our children, but we also train them. We train them and we condition them to know that when you've done something wrong, you're going to be punished. And we do that from a very early age. So kids get the idea of you do something, there's going to be a consequence. They know this very well. And we need to teach them as well that consequences, and this is what is at the heart of restorative practices. Always, always there are consequences. But consequences need to be meaningful, purposeful, fit the circumstance, take into account the conditions, the backstories, all of that, and be purposeful and educative. There should be meaning in that. And um, in some cases, restorative even. Absolutely restorative. If there's something that they can do in order to fix right. it, the big paradigm shift for adults and for kids is that it's harder. You're going to have to own it and you're going to have to contribute to what will repair that harm. So you and I both know that every day of every week we could walk through the cafeteria and tell somebody to clean up their mess, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it happened by accident or somebody threw a french fry or whatever. Wouldn't it be better if our students got involved in a discussion and figured out themselves that it might be a good idea if I clean up my mess, if it comes from them? Everybody gets that when you're talking about it, but in practice, it's very hard for adults to let go of the punishment. And it's very hard for older kids as well to know that there is a better way than even the punishment because they're so conditioned to mm-hmm. it. What do you mean he didn't get suspended for that? What do you mean he didn't get expelled for that? So that's where we are right now. And the last piece I'll say about that is I hear it coming back to me. In moments when something has gone wrong, I often will get from adults, well, stick that in your climate pipe, Pat, <laughs> and smoke it. Oh, you wow. know, Or, hmm, <laughs> I think I heard something about the fundamental hypothesis. So then tell me how what you've just implemented or what you've just said will have to happen is restorative, you know, because you're violating the fundamental hypothesis. And I have to, I have to take that. Mm-hmm. And I have to allow for that to happen. 
They're it's, hard conversations to have they're sometimes. Very, they're very hard conversations to have, but if you think about it, what better conversation right. to have? Because it's another opportunity to say, in this particular circumstance, I would prefer to work with you, and we can sit together, and I can show you why this has to be. Yes. That's the way it goes. So were there any non-negotiables from you? Yes. There are non-negotiables, just like there are in climate. I would really appreciate it, and I think everyone knows who goes through the training, that positive interactions with kids in the morning gets you much more quickly to don't run and don't shove that other kid or be careful when you're getting off the bus rather than just standing there and barking out, stop doing that, take your gum out of your mouth, take you your know, off. throw <laughs> away the big gulp, you, yeah. know, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. So I suppose there are non-negotiables in that way, but really there's no need for more rules. This isn't about more rules. This is about working with all of our policies and procedures. We still have all of those rules, but remember that other policy that I mentioned that says we will seek to restore first. If a statute, and there is a statute that regulates if you do something violent in a school, if you bring a weapon to school, if you do something that will hurt or harm people, of course there are consequences. But if those consequences can be restorative, then that's the direction that we will go in first. And so that's different for everyone. That's different. A, a teacher who's using a circle mechanism may see an opportunity to solve a problem because they've been using circles and kids know what mm -hmm. that's all about. And something happens and they feel they can circle it. The only non-negotiable is that, and this is one that administrators really have to get through first and understand, is that there can never, ever, ever be written consequences that are preset that where you haven't worked or at least attempted to work restoratively first. You can't do that. And here's a very good example. Let's say you have two young people who've gotten into a war of the words. This happens a lot in the lower grades. And there's a shouting match and a kind of menacing one another. And maybe that happens in front of a lot of other kids. It's very upsetting. Teachers look at that and want to separate that before something more physical happens. And, you know. So when there's a screaming match or something that has seriously disrupted the educational process, teachers, you know, quickly call an administrator. We want to separate those young people. And, you know, it's time to levy those consequences. If an administrator can work with those kids and those restorative questions, I'm, I know you've spoken mm -hmm. about this before in other podcasts, but if you're using restorative questions, you're not going to make the mistake that gets adults even more frustrated with the circumstance in the first place. And that question, of course, is why? Mm -hmm. You know, right. why? They don't know why. There is no answer to the question why. But if you can sit down with students individually and say, what happened? Tell me what happened. They have something to say about that. Mm -hmm. And then what were you thinking at the time? What was on your mind? And ultimately, what do you think would help here? How do you think we could get back to where we need to be? And work with what comes from them. So let's say you have two children who actually have gotten into it. And what you are learning and what they are articulating is, that didn't just happen in the hallway. That's been happening at home. In that's been happening on their yeah. cell phones, in the neighborhood, on the bus. And you can ask them and if they come up with some really good solutions, and it doesn't have to be right then and there, and it might be that they come up with another one or two at a later time or the next day, if you're willing to put that work into it, how great is that, that there's been some learning? I shouldn't have yelled. I should have spoken to him more quietly. I didn't um, know he wanted to be my friend. I mean, oh, all that happens all the yes. time. Yes. And so you work with that. This has been great, guys. You know, I really appreciate the fact that you're 
you're finding a way to work together and we're going to help you we're going to support you and i'm going to check in with you and you can check in with me and back and forth and back and forth and then as they're leaving would you really feel there would be value in calling them back and going oh but wait i forgot on page 23 of your handbook it says three days in iss for disrupting probably not and explain that way it really works and I often say this to our teachers. I always say, stop and think about those relationships. You can see somebody do something to another student, and it's the last straw for you. And what's going through your mind is, I keep catching you out of the corner of my eye. I keep reminding you to please stop and pay attention. It's taking more and more of my time. You're not on task. You're falling further behind. And it's the last straw, and I tell you, I, you need to go to the office, right? Mm -hmm. If we could just stop and think for a minute about what we're doing and articulate that to ourselves. You are far behind. You're missing all the direct instruction. You're falling further behind. You're asking other kids to get further behind with you. What I think is best for you is to leave the classroom and get even further behind mm -hmm. And I hope the principal is going to keep you in the office so that you not only lose my direct instruction, but you lose everybody else's because we simply can't work with you any longer. I don't think that's what any teacher has going through their mind, that piece of it. I really don't. I think teachers know and understand and want to have that good interaction all day long. And this is the way to do it. Mm -hmm. And and to pick up those pieces and put them back together and to make it right between them and the student as opposed to, I, I get this, I, I shouldn't say all the time, but I get it occasionally where the teacher sends them out of the class and I send them back as the principal, but they haven't restored that relationship between the two of them. Right. I've restored it between me and the kid, but they haven't. And I think that is a piece that's missing sometimes. You're huge. I couldn't agree with you more. And isn't that really the hardest shift. So adults do have a hard time with that, but they need to make the shift first or it really isn't going to work. And truly, if you think about it, if someone has harmed someone and we just send them home, right, mm -hmm. or we send them to ISS, we might think that we've restored the calm in the classroom. But have we really? Because I can almost guarantee you the person's or person that felt harmed in the classroom is worried sick about what's going to happen when the harmer returns. The harmer is just sitting by themselves, God forbid, perhaps at home with nothing to do and no one to talk to, getting angrier and angrier. But there's another big equation, and that is the teacher, because I don't know mm -hmm. a teacher on the planet who themselves isn't worried about the day that the child who has done the harm comes back because it's exactly what you've just said, Rosie. No one has made a place for them and their relationship to be restored, and that is really critical. It is. And, it, and, you know, when you talk about a paradigm shift and we talk about this journey, yeah. I think those are the hard conversations we have to continue having with the teachers and sometimes mm -hmm. with the parents because there are parents mm -hmm. who come in, too, and some kid has done something to somebody else's child and they want blood. You know, I, yep. I say they want the blood. I, I, and, and it's how do you convince them that we have now worked to restore that relationship between the two kids, and I think they're fine, and mm -hmm. we should just move on. We, we are having a mind meld here because <laughs> I absolutely think that we need to get off that hill of punishment, but it's hard for adults. They want that pound of flesh. They think that that really sends a message to others, and it really doesn't. Yeah. It really doesn't because we all know that when kids are harming other kids or harming anyone, that isn't about having a, a big ego and a lot of self-esteem. That's about unmet needs. Mm -hmm. And a lot of children have unmet needs. We need to figure out what is the cause, what is the root cause, what are the unmet needs. And if we can meet those needs, we will do better. You know, this work for me, Rosie, is really all about returning our schools 
to us. Mm -hmm. We've had tremendous tragedies, and we've had a lot of them right here in Connecticut. We have tons of haves and have-not folks. We have schools that are doing really well and schools that aren't. We have kids that are doing very well and kids that aren't. I'll say it because it's budget season. We don't pay teachers well in Connecticut at all. You know, it's really terrible when Mm -hmm. you think about it. And so think about that baggage. They're trying to make ends meet at home and trying to come in and work with kids. So we've had a lot of tragedies in schools, behaviors and issues and harm that's been done that is horrific, some at the hands of adults and some at the hands of children. And I have been someone who has been called in when there are those kinds of things happening. And so I just think that we can stick with the handbooks and the 45 delineated rules that if you do this, you get that, and if you do this, you get worse, and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of those punishments. But that's not going to create change. It hasn't so far. So we're the educators. Let's do something that can have a different impact and that we know can work. We really need to break that cycle. Yeah, that's it. Yep, you said it. All those relationships. So you've given me so much to think about today, and I'm sure you've given our listeners a lot to think about, too. If you were starting over again, what would you do differently, if anything, um, in the whole process and your whole journey with restorative practices and climate? Great question. I would probably start this work on day one. I've learned a lot by being a superintendent, which is, by the way, I just have to say it, I say it all the time, being a superintendent is the greatest job on earth. And as you know (laughs) from my background, I've done many things. (laughs) But this is just amazing. You know, it is amazing. But one of the things I've learned is that policy is so important. It is incredibly important. And so... If I were starting all over in a brand new school district, before I even arrived, I would make sure that I prepared a policy for that school district if it didn't have one already and make sure that it spoke to the language of restoration. Climate and restoration, and I would make sure that any board that I would be working with would know the value of that so that they could support the work all the way up and down. And I would institute immediately, which I do have now and never mentioned it, so shame on me, but I have created a climate council, a district-wide climate council, because you know the law Mm -hmm. requires to have a safe school climate specialist and coordinator. I have a very small district, so in my district, the superintendent is the safe school climate coordinator and the principals are the specialists in each building. But I created a, a district-wide climate council. We meet Who's on your council? four or five times a year. Uh, administrators, myself, and I co-chair it with the director of special ed and student support services, and she's mm-hmm. wonderful. Uh, she does most of the work, and <laughs> I just wear a <laughs> hat. But the best part about it is I have parents on it. I have teachers on it. I have teachers who've been trained in climate all the way through restorative practices, and I also have a large contingent of students on it. Then I decided that the district really needed to pick itself up by its bootstraps and write a better wellness policy. One, again, that is for our staff, adults, as well as for children. And so we have an amazing wellness policy. That's also on the website if you'd like to look at it. And we're operationalizing that policy. And I created a wellness committee, which is overseen by the District Climate Council. So we have a body that is looking at that wellness policy as well. And that wellness policy has helped us out. We do a 5K fun run every fall. I mean, activities like that. We're going to do a wellness fair for the staff so they can come and learn about, you know, what are all those crazy people doing (laughs) with their leg up on, you know, a wall 
stretching and that yoga. Before they, <laughs> yoga stuff and everything. So I think that I've been able to do those things through policy. So I, I think that's something that I would do. And if any of our fellow superintendents are looking into this work, and I'm sharing this with them as much as I can, I would say that that's what I would advise school district leaders. Get your policies in order so that you have the strength and the language to say, if we're talking about being restorative and having an obligation to work to sustain a positive school climate, we're not only talking about children, we're also talking about adults. Adults will be held responsible as well. I made that policy so that the Board of Education holds me responsible for working restoratively first. So I think superintendents need that linchpin. So I think those are two things I would do. First, start the work right on day one and make sure the policies Excellent. And um, our <coughs> listeners can't see, but I'm making notes here. <laughs> I am definitely going to go out and check your website because I totally agree with you. Getting that foundation piece that's there is so important to support everything else that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell us? Anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to make sure that you mention today? I, I think one more message maybe for everyone out there who's working in schools who might have a chance to listen to this or really would like to get rolling on this work. First of all, anyone can call me at any time. I'm willing to share this work. We have had many, many folks from other school districts, teachers, administrators, other superintendents come to Westbrook to chat with me, to chat with our students, to look at our climate data, you know, to see that we're really scoring quite well and quite high. So I think if anyone would like to come and see us or talk more with me or with anyone else in the school district, um, training. You said that you're going to do six days of training. Is that open? There are open six d- sessions that I scheduled for this year. I think we've done two. We have four more in February and maybe March. I'm not sure, but I'm also thinking about adding more if I can. And those, by the way, will be trainings that Joanne Freiberg will also be a trainer, okay. and I will be a trainer. I do like folks in my district to hear from someone other than just a tired old superintendent, you know, because they hear from me all the time. But those are open to anyone, and the way to find those is to go on the state site event, right, which is it's a tough site to navigate, but if you just keep scrolling down, you'll see the ones that we're offering in Westbrook. And by all means, please join us. It's much better for us and it's better for everyone. It is. It's much better to, to be yeah. in. I know when I've done training, it's it's great to have those yeah. outside voices and, and people. Absolutely. So you've given us a lot to think about today, Pat, and I know I'm going out to check your website okay. and hopefully visit in your school district as well, and hopefully okay. the listeners will do that too. So thank you for, thank for you talking with me today. Really good to be with you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of CAS Conversations. This podcast is brought to you by the Connecticut Association of Schools, serving schools and their leaders since 1935.